Hey, 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 how's it going, Gold Street Garden family? Thank you for joining us for another podcast episode. This is Pastor Dominic, and I just want to thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be able to pour into your lives to reveal Jesus in greater measure to you personally. There is nothing more exhilarating than the daily rediscovery of Jesus. And what a beautiful, beautiful moment we get to share when we share it looking at the Lamb of God. We just want to let you know that if you want more info on the church, you can go to goldstreetgarden.com. You can follow us on all the main social media platforms to stay up to date on all of what's going on in our community. We love you all and we pray that you are impacted deeply and greatly by today's episode and teaching. We love you all. God bless. All right. We got business. We got business to take care of right now. All right. Are you all ready? We've been, we've been on a tear talking about prayer. We've been going nonstop with this specific thing, the prayer that God desires. We have to realize that, that, that Jesus literally went to the cross so that we could have unashamed communion with the Father. Did you know the very first thing The very first thing that happened when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, it says the veil was torn. Do you know what that means? He tore the veil as the first act of his his death, the payment of his death, the first thing, veil torn so that we could enter his presence unashamed. Yet there are so many Christians, so many believers that take prayer ho-hum, not realizing that every time you pray, it was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Do you realize that every time you speak a word, the the nail-pierced hands of Jesus carry that prayer to the ears of the Father? That the only reason you are able to stand before God and pray with confidence is because of who? Jesus. This should cause us to long to pray. But the enemy wants people to think that prayer, this is why our whole generation, there's a whole church that what happens when somebody's going through something, even in the body of Christ, I'll keep you in prayers. And how many times do they not do that? How many, I've been guilty of it at a time that there's just this, this mindset with prayer that it's just, a, it's just a good intention or I'm sending good thoughts or I'm sending, but the thing about prayer is that it, it's something so tangible because what God desires in prayer is that you would have his perspective overwhelm any perspective that you have. That the success of des- your destiny is not determined The success of your destiny is not determined by what you do for God, but what you allow God to do in you. There are a lot of people that think that they're doing a lot for God, but I'm here to ask you, what is he doing in you? If I'm following the Lord, I should be a better husband today. Men, do you hear me? I should be a better father today. If if the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me, what does that look like? 
Does it just look like I go about my normal life? Or does it mean that when people encounter me that they should encounter him? Can the world encounter you and still be the world? Or when the world encounters you, we said this last week that we got to get to a place where I'm done with, we, we, we need to have road to Damascus encounters, not drive through church experiences. We have to have road Damascus encounters. If you're not familiar, there's a man named Paul in the Bible and he was formerly known as Saul, but when God shows up, he'll change your name. He'll change what you're known for. All of a sudden, you're now the flopper because that's all you do on the floor in the press. Don't just say, it's like, it's like no longer. <laughs> we start nicknaming you by the way you respond to the presence. It's like, uh, we call Will Torpedo. Is he here? Like, uh, uh, there's some, we, uh, you know, uh, and uh, Mihai's the drunk. No, I'm just playing. It's like, but, but one of the things that, that, that happens in the, the presence of God is that when, when Paul, he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, and this didn't just happen. Do you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, well, you know, this just happened to Paul. Well, that happens in Acts chapter 9, two chapters earlier, Acts chapter 7, there's a man named Stephen. He's the first martyr, the first person to give his life for Christ. It says that while he was being stoned, he was being stoned. He preached the gospel and talked about how Israel had rejected Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And he goes through it, and it says they were all cut to the heart. And he was, he was saying, you're all stiff-necked, and he was rebuking them, preaching, the, and it says they were cut to the heart. It says they're throwing stones at Stephen, and it says Jesus stood up, because it says he's seated. But when Stephen was being martyred, it says that Jesus stood up. And it says that Stephen could see Jesus. You know what that tells me is that when you're being persecuted is when you see Christ the clearest. That if you haven't been persecuted in a while, maybe that's why you're a little lukewarm. But I'm not talking about being persecuted just because you're against something. It's because you're so in love with him. Jesus didn't get persecuted for the things, all the things that he did. He got persecuted because he said he was the son of God. Once the enemy knows you know what relationship with him is, he will come at you with everything. Because it's relationship with him that makes you free. And we're going to get into this, but when Stephen got martyred, when the rocks are being hurled at him, what happens in the next moment is this, is it says that Paul, who was formerly a Saul, was standing there holding all the coats of the men that were hurling rocks. So when Paul was on the road to Damascus, do you know what was happening? He had the gospel seed in his heart. And he was going about his own life. He had his own plans. He thought he was doing everything, but that he kept hearing that haunting sermon. There's people in this room that God's been dealing with you, that you heard God said something to you years ago. God said something to you recently, and it's been reoccurring because you're on the road to Damascus. 
and you thought you could escape it. You thought you could go back to life as normal and just go about the things that you want. But he is calling a bride that is infatuated with him and he will use the seed of the bold gospel being preached. And this is why when we do a backpack event, this is why when we preach, you have to preach Jesus because it's that seed of the gospel that will produce a harvest in people's hearts. Amen. So with that being said, Tonight, say this out loud, say transformed by his desire. This is what I want to talk about because I am finding in my life that I'm becoming more transformed when I find out the things that he wants. The reason so many Christians live frustrated is because their prayer life is dictated by what they want. But it's when his desires start getting inside of you, they actually transform you. Because the Bible says in James, it says that we're lured away by our own desires. This means that your desires, your personal desires that came from Adam, your desires that come from this world, they will conform you to this world. But his desires will transform you into Christ. His desires, you start finding out what he loves. Do you know what God loves? He loves you. He loves joy. He loves peace. He loves freedom. He loves, he has a destiny for us all that, that showcases what he loves. But it's when we start getting his desires that we start seeing clearly. And this all goes down to, you don't have to turn there yet because we're going to hit a couple of scriptures, but Luke 11 says this, it's when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, and when he's teaching the disciples how to pray, right before we say that, I, ha I feel like I have to say this tonight, that it does not take much to start a fire, but it will take everything to keep it burning. It doesn't take much to start a fire. It only takes a little bit to start a fire but a fire that remains burning is because it has something that'll continually be there to burn it, to consume it. And this is why every day we must lay our lives on the altar afresh to keep it burning. Amen? And it becomes a joy. It doesn't become a labor because you realize that you want that fire does anybody experience the fire of God? I'm talking about, you see, the fire of God, it says that Jesus come to, came to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. This fire, it purifies. It gives you a greater desire. The Bible says in Matthew 7 that there's a narrow road, a narrow road. You know what that means is that a narrow road means that you don't have a lot of room to move. It means that we're going one way. This is not two-way, this is not a broad road, this is a one-way, this is a narrow road, which means that my decisions can't be about, I wanna do this and wanna do that, it has to be narrow. It's not comfortable for options, this narrow road. It's a very specific road, and in Luke 11, when we're talking about being transformed by his desire, in Luke 11, the disciples ask Jesus how to pray. Now, we've gone over this extensively as a body, but I just feel led to, to, to make sure we start with this precursor right here that it says 
that the disciples asked him how to pray. And I've looked at this so many different angles over the years. And even over the past year, every time I read this, I just say that they're, they're asking how to pray. They're asking how to pray. And I, I, I've, I've looked through that maybe it's because of all the results Jesus was getting. I really do believe that is one of the reasons they, they were seeing the miracles. But you know what? The disciples had learned how to pray before because they had seen Pharisees do it. They had seen other people pray. They had, they had known about prayer, but there was something about the life of Jesus that convicted them to their core that they said that we don't know anything about prayer. That even though they had seen other people pray, they've read the Old Testament. They were, they, you know, th these were Jews. So they knew scripture. They knew different things. They knew about prayer. But when they saw Jesus pray and the way that he lived, his life convicted them to realize they don't know anything about prayer. That's crazy. That means that when they prayed, I, I really believe that when they asked the Lord how to pray, that this is one of the greatest prayers in the Bible, one of them, that their prayer was, teach us how to pray. This is a heartfelt, genuine prayer, and you know why it's so special? is because it admits that they're weak. It admits they don't know anything about prayer. It admits that you see people even in the church just because I'm here to tell you that every day this is my prayer. Teach me how to pray. I want to hear how the Spirit desires to pray through me, what he wants to say through me, not just elegant prayers that I've heard or things. I want to pray the word. I want to speak the word. But these disciples, they saw that Jesus was, he was doing miracles. He was all these things, but there was something about his engagement with God that they were like, we want to engage with God. Like, and just today when I was on a walk, this hit me so hard. I was, I was just mulling over this and thinking. And do you know in the Old Testament, when Moses, when Moses got to hear God and got to talk with God, it says all the Israelites that followed him, that Moses at the time, he had all the Israelites following him. And when God showed up, they said, Moses, we're scared of him. We're scared of God. Will you speak to him on our behalf? Did you, what's crazy about this is that Moses saw a lot of signs and wonders. He had the plagues. He had all these things. And all these people, why didn't they ask Moses, teach us how you talk to God? No. When Moses, they saw that Moses, you talk to God because we're scared of him. When he's up on the mountain, we see the lightning and the thunder. We see, we don't want to go near him. But when Jesus was on the earth, when he's talking to God, the disciples don't say, Jesus, will you talk to God on our behalf? The way that Jesus engaged with the Father actually made the disciples say, will you teach us to talk to him like you do? Do you see the difference? In the Old Testament, they said, we don't want to talk to him. You talk to him, Moses. But when Jesus showed up, what a real son looks like, what a real follower of him looks like, all of a sudden the disciples said, will you teach us to talk to him? 
Will you teach us how you talk with him? That the way you speak to him. And what is the first thing Jesus says? When you pray, say this, our father. He was immediately saying this is a relationship that the disciples realized that this is why prayer is so special. It's because we're not We're not asking God, please don't throw stones at us or please don't strike us with lightning, but we're talking to our Father. And what did Jesus say? He said, our Father, because he's saying that the same relationship that I have with him, that you can enter in his throne and have that relationship. Did you know that when you give your life to Jesus, you can stand before the Father and knowing that Jesus represents you and that he took on every punishment, every failure, every sin that has ever been partaken of in your life so that you can stand before the Father unashamed. Do you know how precious this is? This should propel us into prayer. This should make us say, teach us how to pray. Amen. And there's something about when Jesus prayed, he actually provoked others to want to pray. That's very simple, right? Why isn't the church provoked to pray? Why why aren't we provoked to pray? The reason is, is because we need to see the connection of the Father. We need to speak to him in a way. We, I, I'm telling you that we need to be so passionate in prayer that the world is convinced that God is on the other side of that conversation. That when we worship, when we pray, do people say, wow, there is something special about that. And I'm not just talking about hype. I'm not talking about charisma. I'm talking about the woman that broke her alabaster jar. I'm talking about somebody that just gets so in love with Jesus that it doesn't matter what anything looks like. There's people in this room, I'm telling you, you need to get touched by his presence again. You need to get set ablaze by his love. You need to know that he wants to encounter you more than you want to encounter him. He wants you to engage with him. My desire, even here, is that we would provoke the body to pray because there's a wedding day coming. The Bible says that it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Do you know what the joy was? The wedding day, the wedding feast, the joy that that would be, and that was what caused him to endure the greatest suffering. There are people that won't even deal with the, the, the smallest amount of suffering in life. When Paul even says in Philippians 3.11, that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. That what are you gonna tell Stephen? being stoned for the gospel, ask for deliverance. Jesus is standing up, giving him an ovation. There's something so precious about a bride that just wants him. When you only want him, the devil cannot touch you. 
Because if you want things in this world, the devil will keep tormenting you because he knows the devil can use things from this world as little, little chess pieces to get you controlled. But when all you want is him, you're untouchable. Did you know that the Bible says that we're the light of the world? Did you know you can't touch light? You're untouchable. But your feelings will try to convince you otherwise. Your feelings will lie to you, but his truth is solid. Amen. So once again, if it's as simple as Lord, teach us how to pray, can we say that tonight? Lord, Lord teach us how to pray. Not only that, you know what makes me think too? Lord, teach me to love. Maybe our prayers need to get simple. Maybe, maybe all the situations that we're asking for would drastically change if we ask God to teach us how to love. Teach us how to be humble. Teach us how to pray. Maybe the things that we think we're aspiring to are actually just revealing that we, we've missed it completely. Because even Paul, oh here, I'll wait for that for a sec, but when it says that in Luke 11, it says to pray, but if you could turn with me to Mark, or I, I apologize, Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine. This is after Jesus has taught the disciples how to pray. In verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the what? The gospel of the kingdom. And healing how many sicknesses? Every sickness and every disease among the people. Why would he do this? He's representing the heart of God. Did you know that sickness is part of the curse? It is part of damnation. It is, it is the enemy's manipulation and perversion of what God has created as life. That's why when Jesus came, he did not put sickness on anyone. He healed every person that came. He healed them. He brought healing to them. Did you know that he still heals today? Not only does he still heal, he's already healed. But it says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So Jesus has just seen all these miracles. They've just seen all these great exploits. And Jesus is moved with compassion because they're weary and scattered like a sheep having no shepherd. And then this is what he says to the disciples. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, what? Pray. Now, just stop right there. All these people have just got healed. All these people, it's a multitude of people. And this is what Jesus says. Soon as he sees a whole flock of people. He's moved with compassion and he turns to the disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And he says, therefore, everyone say, 
pray. And he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He doesn't say pray for the harvest. He doesn't say pray for all the lost. Why? Because he's the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is already ripe. The reason he's telling the disciples to pray is because they need to have the heart to reap the harvest. The reason there's no laborers is because the laborers don't have the right heart. And the right heart only comes through prayer. That it's when we begin to pray that he gives us the heart to reap and to steward what he has for us. This is why soon as he sees a mass people, he turns to the disciples and he doesn't say, here, you go start leading them. He says, he tells them because he's already taught them how to pray. He's like, start engaging with the father. So that way you will have the heart to reach these people, that you will have the heart because there's a lot of people that think that the harvest is their following, but I'm here to tell you it's his bride. The harvest is not your following. The harvest is his bride. And he needs a people that gets so engraved with his heart that when they see the harvest, that they want to steward it the way God would. That's why he sent Jesus, because Jesus came. When you pray, what you're doing is you're entering the heart of God so he can shoot you out of his heart like a cannon. That all of a sudden you come out of his heart because you've been in prayer and you've been engaging with him. And now when you see people, you see his people. You see his harvest. You see what he desires and it begins to make you realize how fickle and how trivial things are. God will help you with things in your life. The Bible promises it. That if you seek first his what? Kingdom and his righteousness, all things will be added unto you. But we hear so much teaching about what will be added unto you that no one ever seeks. It's all about the blessings. I've had so many people say, you gotta have faith in the blessing of God. What are you talking about? You have faith in Christ alone. If he's not the blessing, you are in for a rude awakening when you get to heaven and you find out you are all in it for everything but him. This is what American Christianity has become. It has become come to God and ice cream and Skittles for everyone. When really Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Do you know when he said, take up your cross and follow me? Do you know that at that time, crucifixion was the most, it's, it's the most horrific way to die. And he's saying that this is where we're going. Remember when the disciples said that they brought their mother, John and James, their, their mother came and said, hey, can you let my boys sit on the right and left side of your throne? Jesus says, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And some of them were. Some of them drank that cup of suffering. They endured for him. They endured for him. You see, there's something so special about getting so in love. There are people that are willing to die for endangered species of animals. And I'm here, I'm all for it. I mean, hey, protect the world. That's amazing. Like, but I'm here to tell you, there is a greater cause than trees and animals. Yeah. 
He's going to burn it all up. It's a new heaven and a new earth is coming. That people, they, they, they find causes to die for in this life that they're going to find out they gave their life for the most ridiculous thing to burn in hell. We are here saying that he is worthy of our song. He is worthy of our lives laid down. He is worthy of praise. That when I pray, I want to connect with the maker of the heavens and the earth. I'm not here just to pray, just so I can get through the day and have a nice, no, God, what is on your heart? This has been a journey. And you know, sometimes people are like, you shouldn't preach this way because it, it, it's, not, it's not deep or, it, or it's too deep or people, this doesn't attract people because people want to find out what's in it for them. The gospel is lay it all down and he will give you himself completely. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 103, it says that he has Moved our sin as far as what? The east is from the west. What is his desire? His desire is that sin would be so removed from the way that you perceive life and the way that you perceive him that you would come and you would live life to its fullest. You know right now there is sin that is preventing you from seeing what life really is. And the reason that you don't want to lay it all down is because the world still fills you with pleasure. But the Bible says that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm here to tell you if any of you in this room truly see him. You won't want anything to do with anything he is not a part of. You see him and your desires are destroyed and only one remains that I may know him. Paul, what happened to him? He's on the road to Damascus. He, he's on a journey and he's killing people that stand in the way of his church movement, what they had as religion. He's He's on his way and Jesus knocks him off the horse and says, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in this moment, we find in Philippians 3, let's read Philippians 3. Philippians 3 says this. I want to start at verse, verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, he's saying that I had confidence in what I was able to do. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is the law blameless. Paul's saying that I did everything right. I had all my T's dotted. I had all my, I had all my I's dotted, all my T's crossed. I went through. I did everything I was supposed to. He said, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for who? Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, but I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Do you see Paul saying this over and over again? That I had everything right, but it was all for nothing. That God exposed me as weak and all the things that I thought I had built up, built equity. I found out it was all for nothing. And this is exactly why God chose me. Is he chose me by revealing that I have nothing to do with it. He didn't pick Paul because he was the man for the job. He picked Paul probably because the disciples were praying that God would send laborers into the harvest. And when they were praying for laborers into the harvest, I bet they were hoping that God would just send their friends, not, their, not the people that were trying to murder them. But isn't it amazing that when you start praying, God send people into the harvest, that God will start picking the people that maybe you didn't want him to pick. Maybe he'll pick Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm just saying that sometimes we have to realize that when we pray that God will do things that are far above that what we think, what we would even imagine. And when you keep reading here, it says this, and be found in him not having my what? My own righteousness, my own ability, which came from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which is Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I count myself to have is this is what I do. I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal, the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. This is what it's all about getting to this place. And if you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, when we were in the prayer room this past Sunday, the Lord married these two passages for me in my heart and intertwined them. But when you go to 1 Corinthians 15 and you compare that to the Philippians right there, it says that Paul was saying, this is the one thing that I want. I want to know him. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Verse nine, it says, Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles. I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Do you see, does Paul sound like everybody respect me because I'm a man of God? Everyone carry my Bible. <laughs> he says, I'm the least, I'm the least worthy. I'm the least of all this. God did not pick me because I was most qualified. He picked me to expose how I was so confident in everything from this world so that I could fully rely on the confidence of Christ. And then he says, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
By the grace of God, I am what I, is there anybody that can testify of that tonight? I should be dead, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I should be depressed, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I was hooked on drugs, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I used to be in love with myself, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That it's, it's his grace that possesses you. And something happens where you get transformed by this desire. And it goes on to say that his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Everyone say labored more abundantly. abundantly. Yet not I, but by the grace of God, which was with me. This is, I want you to connect something here. Remember we said transformed by his desire. Paul is saying right here that I have, there's no reason that God should have picked me. I was the worst. I was actually persecuting the church. I was all against it. And this is what Paul says. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And because of that, I labored more abundantly than anyone else. How many people want to tap into that? That Paul was able to do something that nobody else did because he had a desire that few had. His desire was to know him, not to build his own empire. He would rather intercede in prison. You see, there, we said this last week that I'd rather be close to him in the wilderness than be so far away from him in the promised land. I'd rather have intimacy with him, with things going crazy, than everything be perfect and me be confident in myself and what I've done. And this is where the enemy tries to get in. And this is why he is accelerating and bringing a bride that is infatuated with him alone. This is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus is what your heart has desired, but the world and the devil have convinced you that he is not enough that he is just a compartment of life, just a religious factor. He's just this, no, he is life. As soon as you compartmentalize God, you've become religious. You've limited him. Did you know God has no rivals, but he allows himself to be rivaled in your heart if you'll let him. God has no rivals, but in your heart, he will allow you to have rivals of him until you choose he's the one. He's the one. But once you get this, you will do more than anybody else if your desire is to know him. The desire to know him will cause you to labor like nobody else. And if God is trying to send labors into the harvest, is there people in this room that are saying, I want to be that labor. I want to be that one. God, send me. Lord, here tonight, mark my life because my family needs to know Jesus. Mark my life. My coworkers need to know Jesus. But more importantly, I need to know him more. I need to know him more because the success of a church isn't determined by the presence of more people, it's determined by more of his presence. It's more of him. More of him. Everyone say more of him. More. Laboring past what anything else could be. And this is, 
this is what I want to say with our, our final moments. Is this helping anybody? Yes. If you turn with me to Habakkuk. I've heard a lot of people pronounce this different ways. I've heard some people say Habakkuk. Which is a, a also a way to say, but Habakkuk, one of the things I want you to see in this in particular story is right before I read this, this is going to help us when it comes to prayer. Everybody hear me when I say what I'm about to say. What you do when you don't understand reveals the quality of your faith. What you do when you don't understand reveals the quality of your faith. As I've been reading the scriptures, the Lord spoke this to me. I just sensed it in my heart right before our prayer meeting this past Sunday and the Lord said, do you wanna settle for what you understand about scriptures or do you want to come with me to the place I desire you to stand? That God, every verse you read, there is a depth to that verse that you have yet to travel. You have yet, every word of God is an invitation to know him in a greater way. And you need to know the finished work of the cross to, the finished work of the cross is the magnifying glass that we use to observe every diamond of scripture. That when you want to understand the scripture, you have to look through the lens of the finished work of the cross to look in the Old Testament, to look through. You have to go through, because when Jesus rose from the grave in Luke chapter 24, that uh, when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, that he revealed himself to two disciples, but they didn't know it was him, and he walked with them. And it says in verse 23 of that scripture, it says that their hearts burned within them when he spoke to them about the Old Testament. That when they heard the voice of the resurrected Christ, their hearts burned within them. Did you know the Holy Spirit, it says in Romans 8.15, it says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, what? Dwells in your heart. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is the voice of the resurrected Christ? That when the resurrected Christ begins to speak, your heart burns. Is there anybody that's been reading scripture before and you could tell that it was more than just a devotional? Have you ever been reading the scriptures before? Have you ever been in a, in a, a service before? Have you ever been just talking with somebody and you started talking about him and your heart began to burn? What does this mean? It, it means that this is bridal love. This is getting prepared for a wedding day that as we're engaging with him, our hearts begin to burn. But did you notice that their hearts burn not when they talk to him, but when he talked to them? That Moses, it says that his face would shine when he talked to God. When he went up on Mount Sinai, he didn't go up to ask God for things. He went up to listen to what God had to say. The reason his face shined like the sun is because he became a good listener. We've said this before. It's hard to tell who talks to God, but it's easy to tell who listens. There's a lot of people that think they talk to God, but you can tell who listens because they'll do what he says and there'll be results. But in Habakkuk, 
I just want to share, and once again, that phrase, what you do when you don't understand reveals the quality of your faith. Habakkuk, this name, it literally means to wrestle or also it means to embrace. It means to wrestle and to embrace. And when you read the book of Habakkuk, you find that it starts out, and let me just read the first verses to you. It says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. What does it sound like he's saying? He sound, it sounds like he's saying, God, where are you? He's a prophet. How many people are thankful that there is vulnerability in the word of God? That this, this prophet is saying, are, are, am I the only one that you've been in life sometimes and you've been saying, you, 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 maybe you didn't say it out loud, maybe you did, but you were thinking, God, where are you? Am I the only one or does everybody want to play Superman faith? There's a vulnerability that happens when you reveal your heart to him it says that he delights in a broken heart, in a contrite spirit, in a heart that is at, 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 a, at a place of desperation. You know, Jairus, it was a man in the New Testament. He was a Pharisee and he talked bad about Jesus. He even said we should kill him, we should get rid of him. But once his daughter was struck with a, a, a deathly illness, it says Jesus was coming back across the sea. And it says that this Pharisee, they would wear their big robes and they wanted everybody to celebrate them for their accomplishments. And it says that when Jesus showed up on the shore on a boat, it says this Pharisee ran and he got in the muddy banks and he kneeled down and cried out, will you save my daughter? Did Jesus say, no, I'm not gonna do that because you're a Pharisee and you've been talking bad. He said, let's go. Because this man, men, I'm speaking to you, it's been a while since you got broken before the Lord. And you just say, oh, I, uh, and, and you see what even happens to Jairus is as he's going to heal the daughter, a, another miracle stirs up with the woman with the issue of blood. And then that Jairus' servant comes to him and says, don't even bother him anymore. Your daughter's dead. Jesus knew this was going to happen on the journey. That when you're walking with Jesus, that you're like, oh, he's with me now. Everything's going to get better. He's walking with Jesus and his daughter dies. But Jesus hears that man give a report, says, your daughter's dead. Don't bother him. And you know, Jesus doesn't even let Jairus speak. He says, fear not, only believe. Did you know every time the devil starts whispering in your ear, it's too late, Jesus' voice is speaking at the same time, saying, fear not, only believe. And he says this, fear not, only believe, and Jairus believes and he keeps walking. And could you imagine how hard that was? Because he trusted his friend. He knows his friend's not making it up. And when he gets there, all the family is weeping and crying. And it's all this emotion. And everybody is convinced she's dead. But Jairus has a word. And he has the man with him. He has the resurrection with him. 
And you know what Jesus does? Is he gets everyone out of the house. He, he moves them all out. He doesn't even, he gets them all out and he says, Peter, James and John and Jairus, we're going in. And that daughter gets raised from the dead because this man came to the end of himself, but he had to follow Jesus even in the midst of bad reports. Even in the midst, there's people in this room that a bad report will knock you out of church for months. I'm telling you, we gotta get stronger as a body. This is not a time. He is coming back for a bride. He's not coming back for a puppet show. He's not coming back for who can have the best service, the best lights. He's coming back for a bride. And a bride sticks with it no matter what. We've said it before. He's not coming back for, for a girlfriend. He's not coming back for a spoiled girlfriend. He's coming back for a bride. One that's willing to hear the reports and endure them to know that he is good. He is faithful. Even in the face of opposition, even in the face of loss in this life, eternity far exceeds this. And if people can see him in our eyes, if they can feel his touch, there's something so precious. Habakkuk lays this out. And then in verse five, it says, look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded. So Habakkuk's probably a little shook. He thinks God isn't doing anything. Have you ever thought that before? God, where are you at? You told me to pray. You told me to ask. And Habakkuk's saying, where are you at, God? And God says this to him. Look among the nations. You got your eyes in the wrong spot, Habakkuk. Look and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe even if I told you. God is actually being merciful not telling Habakkuk what he's doing because he doesn't want him to screw it up. Sometimes you're wondering what God's doing and he's actually withholding information just so you don't screw it up. He told you everything he wants to say in this book. And when you steward that well, and you want him, he'll begin to share more things with you. He'll begin to reveal more things to you. But you find, he says, for indeed I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. And if you go on, you know what God says? Habakkuk, you're wondering why I'm not delivering Judah right now. He says, I'm about to, and you know, Judah was getting beat up by Babylon and you know what God says? He, this is what he says to Habakkuk. He says, I'm actually raising up Babylon to spank you. <laughs> Habakkuk's all of a sudden like, I don't like prayer anymore. <laughs> because God, when he starts engaging with God, God starts telling him things he doesn't want to hear. He's saying, God, where are you? And God says, oh, I'm working something up. He's like, you're praying for deliverance. Well, I'm, I'm getting a nice big spanking ready for for Judah. And you know what Habakkuk goes on to say in the same chapter? He says, God, but you're righteous and from everlasting. Even though we have some sin, they're way worse. <laughs> and God says, I know, they have a lot of chariots too. They have a lot of things. And he says, I'm raising them up to discipline you. 
this is crazy because you know what? This would be like us crying out for America. And did you know America is okay with a lot of lawlessness? And you have to, I want you to see this from a biblical perspective. You have to understand we are the people of God and we have to stand up for things. But America's got to be watchful about pride thinking it's a certain way. And you have to watch when you're reading this, you're seeing that he's saying that I'm raising up a nation worse than you just to discipline you and get you back in line. Does this sound like the cross? God's greatest victory was getting people mad at Jesus to bring about salvation. That he'll actually raise, he'll use the enemy's best punch, use the enemy's best weapons to actually provoke the world to salvation. That sometimes us getting corrected is actually bringing people to God because whom the Lord loves, he corrects. When people see the Lord correct us and we continue to be thankful and we continue to say, Lord, thank you for revealing it to me. Because what happens is in Habakkuk 2, and we're almost done, worship team can come. I will stand my watch in, in chapter 2. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. He's actually setting watch to be corrected. And then it says, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, everyone say, wait for it. Wait for it. I'm telling you, though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Did you know God has never been late? And the thing is, a lot of times we only think about this when it comes to breakthrough. He's not late on anything. He's not late. If God, if God showed up like some people show up to church, we'd be really in trouble. <laughs> a lot of people show up late to church if you didn't catch it. <laughs> but if, I'm telling you that when it says right here, verse four, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Did you know in Habakkuk, he hears this verse from God. Did you know the just shall live by faith is found in three of the New Testament letters and all the three New Testament letters it's found in are the most fundamental for the doctrine of salvation. Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Greek, for everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That he proclaims this, that this is a verse that's happening, that God is saying that yes, there is a lot of craziness that's about to happen, but I will preserve those that live by faith. I will reach them. And then God goes on to say what he's going to do. And you know how Habakkuk ends? I encourage you to read this book. It's just a prayer. In Habakkuk 3, you know what he finally gets to? He says, God, I'm just going to praise you. Because he didn't care no longer what was to come. He fell in love with the voice of God 
in this exchange and realize that God sees things that he does not see, that he knows things that, that he does not know. His thoughts are higher than ours. And the main reason a lot of us are frustrated in life is because you're trying to get God to see things the way you do when he wants you to see things the way he does. I'm telling you, God is doing something so special in the body of Christ right now. And when Paul, when Habakkuk said that when you write this down, write it, that those who read it will run with it. Did you know that since Habakkuk wrote that down, how many people ended up running with that? Paul ran with it. Peter ran with it. John ran with it. The just shall live by faith. We don't live by what we see. We don't live by what we understand. We live by faith. And this faith is in who? It's in Jesus. One of my favorite verses is found in 2 Timothy. When Paul, 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul writes before he gets his head cut off for the gospel. And you know one of the things he says? He says, I suffered all these things, being put in prison, being beaten, I suffer all these things because I know in whom I believe. He doesn't say I know in what I believe. There's a lot of people that are prideful in what they believe, but they are not obsessed with who they believe. He says, I know who I believe. And that's why I'm willing to suffer all these things. I've said this before. I want to make this very clear. Did you know a lot of atheists that are very well-known atheists when they talk about theology and things like that and they try to debunk the faith, do you know the one thing that a lot of atheists can't get across, like very educated atheists, they always struggle with this one thing. They say, I, we just can't fathom why people were so willing to give their life to, to this Christ if he wasn't real. They just can't, it, there's something about a life laid down that preaches the gospel more than anything because Jesus said it himself. He said, greater love has no one than this, what? Than he that lays down his life for his friend. So if you would close your eyes.